All right, today on the podcast, um, we have um, a close friend and mentor of mine, Larry Titus. Um, he's really been such an incredible blessing in my life. He has decades and decades. You probably have been discipling Christians longer than I've been alive, Larry. I guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> so I thank you so much. I how old I am. I voted for Abraham Lincoln. That'll tell you. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, then there's a lot for you to talk about today, and we're excited to have you on. So thanks so much for coming. Pleasure. All right. Well, Larry, um, I'd love for you to start with just telling um, our audience a little bit about your history, a little of your story as a Christian leader and as a mentor. Okay. Well, I've been in the ministry 60 years, so that might extend beyond your lifetime. Yes, it does. A couple times. But... um, pastored uh, in several states, Washington State. I was there 12 years, two and a half years in the Panhandle of Texas, 13 years in Pennsylvania, 12 years in Ohio. Now we're back in the Dallas area, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, where God lives, and Jesus will return on his way to the Mount of Olives. So just to let you know, (laughs) if you want to position yourself. And that you have to, you know, for you to qualify for heaven, you should be aware of those those facts. And uh, anyway, um, so uh, in 92, well, let, let me put it in 2002, because in 2002, the corporation we'd founded 10 years earlier, the Lord began to, to prompt us. It's a global missions organization called KingdomGlobal.com, Kingdom Global Ministries, and our website is kingdomglobal.com. In my early ministry, the Lord spoke to me in a one-on-one, face-to-face, his presence conversation, the only time in my life, lest I sound spiritual, where the Lord and I have talked, and uh, uh, he began to impress upon me, this was my very first ministry, that uh, he had not called me to build the church, which I had struggled for one year to after having started it at this little Cascade town in North, uh, North Central Washington called Wenatchee. So I've been there only one year from 1968 to 1969. And then the Lord had this conversation and I told him I did everything possible that I know to build the church. And uh, he reminded me, Matthew 16, 18, that it was not my church, it was his church and that he would build his church and that I was building the wrong thing. He was building the church while I was to have been building the kingdom of God. So I took his words and from that day till this day, I have sought first the kingdom of God and discovered that the Bible is not a church book, but a kingdom book. And that uh, Jesus mentioned church only two times, which is rare. Uh, And the mentions, uh, the quotes in the gospels add up to about 200 relating to the kingdom of God. So we began to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, pray daily for the kingdom of God in our little town of 19,000 people. I know, I know, not that they were all in our church, but I know in the first couple of years, there were 1,000 teenagers saved. And then it continued to grow and the church continued to grow. And then the relatives got saved. So um, a lot of those were high schools or high school bands that got saved or various activities where kids were getting saved by the hundreds and we were baptizing them by the hundreds. There was a major revival that took place. It probably lasted 10 years. And then that we began to sense the glory was fading and 
God was moving on. So we moved on in 1980, um, the fall of 1980, we moved on and then began a church, uh, didn't begin, but took over a pastorate in Pennsylvania. Excuse, let's see, first of all, it was Texas. Yeah, first of all, Texas, and then to Pennsylvania. So that's kind of a background, but um, God has called us. It's the only form of leadership in the New Testament that Jesus endorsed and practiced, and that's called discipleship. It is not a class. If I say discipleship class, it is immediately, thereby, hereafter, forever, uh, an oxymoron. As soon as it becomes a class, it is no longer discipleship and generally is doctrinal, which is even worse that I would teach the doctrine with something so sterile as lectures from my opinion. And uh, so I believe strongly in discipleship. I believe that I can do more than a megachurch pastor, though we've had several churches that were quite large. Uh, I believe I can do more discipling men because they multiply and they multiply and they multiply and the 12 turns to 70 and the 70 to 120 and the 120 to 3000. And that's how discipleship is. If we were to do a discipleship, discipleship paradigm, instead of a come to my church paradigm, we could reach the world in just a matter of years. But as it is, we're still trying after 2000 years to do what Jesus did yeah. within a few. Yeah. So his, he is a life modeled discipleship, and I'm trying to model my life like his did by allowing people into my life one-on-one, -on -one, taking them with me, praying with them, discipling them, allowing them into my home, allowing them into my marriage, letting them see what it's like for my wife and I, uh, when we're together, how we interact, how I treat her, as well as things related to the kingdom of God. So my whole life is a discipleship paradigm. I do it to this day. We raised 80 kids in our home, <clears throat> and that's close discipleship, sometimes too close. And uh, it all uh, it all becomes part of our lifestyle. Both Debbie and I believe strongly it is a multiplication process that if we do a good job discipling a person, they can reach far more than we can. So it is now a lifestyle of what started out just as normal Christianity. Well, I love that. I love that. I think I, I share so many of those convictions, and I'm sure I got a lot of my heart for it from you. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll just say this as a pastor, you know, I've been pastoring a lot less time than you, Larry. Um, but you know, in my, I don't know how many years now, 15 years of pastoring or so, I think so much focus in the church is on, you know, is on lots of people rather than in really deep impact in people. Right, mm -hmm. and that's that's what I hear you talking about. If you disciple somebody well, then they become someone who's able to make disciples themselves, and you create mm -hmm. that kind of multiplication process. Right? For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm not against the the church model today, but I think we can prove statistically that it's not effective. And I say that knowing that I have several mega church pastor friends that will probably contradict what I'm saying, but unless something is built on disciple and you can be a mega church i'm sure and built on discipleship but it's got to be something deeper than just classes classes don't qualify you know you cannot be a mathetes by just going to a class 
especially when the teacher has no interest in having you enter into their lives or track with them. Yeah. This process called discipleship is known to us for thousands of years. It's called apprentice and journeyman. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wanted to be a great painter in the, in the Renaissance years, you would move into the home of a great painter, become part of the studio, become part of their life until you learn to become a great painter. Uh, we've had, I mean, today we have electricians and plumbers. You have to go through the process. And the most outstanding and obvious is our medical profession. You cannot go immediately from classroom settings to the scalpel. You know, say, I read it in a book somewhere. It's, I, I saw a picture of it. So, you know, I'm going to put you to sleep and start cutting. There has to be internship. There has to be walking with people that have been there. And that was the principle of Jesus 24 seven. He spoke to the crowds only twice, because we know that the feeding of the four and the 7,000, uh, the 4,000 and the 5,000 didn't, didn't include the women and the children. So multiply that, multiply that into 20 to 25,000 people that he spoke to when he fed them or briefly, maybe in the Beatitudes Sermon on the Mount. And he spoke to the crowds uh, in his last 18 months on earth, but he spent 24 seven with 12 individuals, 11 nondescripts and one success. And, uh, and he turned the world upside down with these 11 individuals. Yeah. So I think, I think discipleship is a pretty good model to follow. Yeah. And I think if we allow people, that is the problem. Leaders don't want to allow people into their lives. You know, I said to one leader, are you going to have a home group? And he said, no, I don't want people to come into my home. And to this day, he's never produced a leader. I mean, he has literally shut the door. He wants to speak. He likes to preach. He likes to tell people what to do. He doesn't want anybody to follow him, see him, go into his house, see how he treats his wife. Maybe that's why he doesn't want anybody in his house. But uh, to this day, and I told him, you'll never have a great ministry. You cut people off. And he hasn't. It's not that my prophecy was... uh, the reason for his lack of success is that he purposely set himself against a biblical principle. Uh, so I'm very convinced that if we were to do what Jesus did, we could do what Jesus did. Yeah. And uh, his success is not one of a kind. I wrote a book recently. Unfortunately, it's just in Portuguese at this point, but we're soon translating it into English. It's called LEAD acronym, standing for leading efficiently and differently that Jesus, the world's greatest leader, never led like we lead. Never, never. It would be totally foreign to him to try to get people in by promotion and program, to try to get people in by, by you know, just having them come once a week to uh, hear him preach. You know, it was a lifestyle. He chose, the world's greatest leader, chose to spend three and a half years with, uh, with 12 men, one betrayed him at 11, uh, forsook him and deserted him and uh, turned the world upside down with the 11 nondescripts that failed hugely at his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, but they came back and turned the world upside down. Yeah. So I think if we were to change our paradigm from the come gospel to a go gospel and use the go gospel as the impetus for the discipleship, we would see things that are similar. I have... Uh, I have some of my disciples that one of them reaches 100 million people a week. You know, that's just one of my disciples. Then you add up all the other disciples, we reach into the million. Same thing with Debbie. The leader she influences 
uh, in Brazil, the leaders of influence, they can easily count 20 million people that, that are discipled by the women, the Devi disciples. And uh, that's the way it is. We, we've got to change our paradigm to the biblical. Jesus, final word says, go and make disciples. Right. He didn't say make converts, Christian leaders. He didn't say make members of your church. He said make disciples, Mathetes. Right. Paul said, and I equate that, by the way, to being a spiritual father or for the women, a spiritual mother. And that is that it's a relationship. It is a relationship. Paul said we have 10,000 myriads of paid pedagogues, but we have few, few fathers. And I think that the world, people are looking for fathers, not, not somebody paid to preach to them on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I think back on the people that have greatly influenced me in my life, right? Um, there definitely are teachers who have influenced me, but the, the ones that I feel like really, um, that I, I wanted to be like were the ones that I felt like truly loved me and right. took the time and the effort and the energy um, to pour into me personally in, in a relational type of fashion. And, you know, and some of those people were not great teachers. I mean, like, I'm thinking of people like my youth pastor, like, <laughs> not, not to slam my youth pastor's teaching. He's a, a solid teacher, but he's not like a, some kind of phenomenal speaker. But what he was is he was somebody who was able to really love people mm-hmm. well. Um, and he did exactly what we're talking about. Like, we played video games at his house. We slept over at his house. All these kinds of things where he really, um, you know, he, did, he really did that well. And I feel like... Um, yeah, like why why is it that um, this this dynamic of fathers? Because the the other part of this is people are longing for fathers and mothers. They're longing for spiritual fathers and mothers, right? Almost mm-hmm. everyone I, I I feel has that deep desire in their hearts. Um, why is it that there's so few fathers and mothers that are available to disciple all the people that want discipleship? Yeah, I know. I looked for that when I was a young preacher. I looked for it. I wanted to, I would go to men and say, would you be a mentor? And they said, no. <laughs> I went to several 17, 18 year old kids. I would, I would, can I track behind you? No, we love you, but no. And I think that there is not an injury. It's, it's easier, frankly. It is very much easier for me to stand up and preach to a crowd on Sunday morning than to spend time with you because discipleship means that there's going to be challenging times. There's going to be times of friction or times of, of, um, oh, I don't know, just life, you know, just life has its problems. And it's very much easier for me to preach to you because I have no responsibility. I've been working in prison since I was 18, starting in San Quentin to this day, I still do. And uh, I've noticed it's easier to disciple men while they're in prison. Because when they get out, I got a job on my hands. I say, I say to the Lord, keep them there as long as you can. I'd rather disciple them while they're behind bars. Yeah. Because whenever they get out, I got to teach them how to maintain their checking account and their savings account, and, and establish their budget, and love their wife, and how to treat women. And I mean, it's been terrifying. If I, if I, as I've taught some of these guys how to drive a car. <laughs> you know, especially a stick shift, you know, I, my life was in danger. One guy got him out of prison, took him to the mall. Now this guy's in prison for over a dozen years for violent crime. He gets out. I take him to my house, take him down to buy him 
some street clothes, because all he has is his prison clothes, go into the mall. By the time I get back, he has conned a woman at a kiosk in the middle of the mall who gave him a gold bracelet on credit. (laughs) So whenever I run into him again, instead of him buying clothes, I said, "Uh, Harry, where'd you get that that gold bracelet? Oh, she gave me this on credit. And I said, okay, we're taking it back. (laughs) We're taking it back right now. He said, no. I said, oh, yes. I said, we're taking it back until you can earn the money and buy this for cash. You're not getting this. And that kind of thing, you know, like, gosh, just keep them in prison until they know all the stuff. But <laughs> discipleship is it's costly for the individual and extremely rewarding. Yeah. You know, it's a risk. You don't know if the people are going to turn out great or be like Judas or they betray you. Because I'm sure that God has a Judas for everybody, especially those in ministry. It keeps us humble. Yeah. But uh, whenever whenever we disciple people, it's costly. It, it, you can't just, it's not a one-time shot. And uh, it takes a lot of energy, a lot of prayer, a lot of intercession. And I don't know. It's the way Jesus did it. So I think it should come natural to us, or we should at least want it, want to try it. And it's a father-son relationship where you're seeing value in somebody and walking with them until you, um, they are able to follow you. Paul said, Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me, Greek, mimites, which means mimic me as I mimic Christ. So allowing somebody to come into your life to see it. I'll give you a quick illustration. Uh, we quite often through the years, we, we have people come into our house for a day, two days, five days, sometimes a couple of weeks, sometimes years. Uh, but one of the young men, young married man from Brazil came and stayed with us for several days. So I asked them a question always at the final breakfast. What did you, what did you enjoy most? Because in the Dallas Fort Worth area, there's a ton of stuff to see. So I'll go through all of the tourist spots. Say, did you enjoy that, 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 that? And inevitably they will come back and say, no, watching you and Debbie, how you interact was the best thing that I received while I was with you. Hmm. How you would get up, how you would clean the dishes, help her clean up the kitchen, how you talked to each other, how you responded, how you respected each other. And this is what discipleship is, allowing people into your life, allowing them to see the good, the bad, the ugly, and allow them to see things that probably was never modeled for them. Hmm. Because seven out of 10 women have been abused by men, emotionally, physically, sexually, or in some way. Um, And um, 80% of men come from dysfunctional backgrounds. So they probably never saw anybody that knows how to communicate without fighting. Sure. And knows how to control the atmosphere without raising voices and and yelling at each other. And for them just to see that is just like, a, it's very instructive, but they've got to see it, especially men. Yeah. You know, men need to see it. They need a pant leg to hang on to. Yeah. Well, admit, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of yeah. sense. Um, so I want to ask for like practical advice. Say you have, so you have a pastor or a small group leader or something like that. And I'm, I'm trying to disciple these guys, okay? I'm used to just doing a sermon on Sundays, or I'm used to, you know, just leading a Bible study on Tuesday uh-huh. nights. What's kind of a couple steps that I can take to start trying to be a better discipler? Luke chapter 6, verse number 12. Jesus, when the Father gave him the disciples, and they were gifts from the Father, so he prayed about it all night long and said, Father, who are the men that I am to disciple? The disciple doesn't choose the discipler. 
doesn't choose the one who's to be the rabbi, but the rabbi chooses the student, the mathetes. And we need to pray about it. If God brings people into your life, maybe there's a reason. Maybe he wants you to spend time with them. And you don't become the Holy Spirit. God hasn't called you to run anybody's life. God has not called you to give direction to anybody. You do, and you will be responsible for that. God has only called you, called you to, to love them, to see the value in them, to walk with them, to allow them to see your life, and to become a point of, uh, of uh, contact, uh, a point of relationship where they, they have somebody that loves them, that believes in them. You know, so more is done by example than is by lecture by far. And lecture is the worst form of training, and example is the best. Hmm. So I think that as God leads you to people, you know, if you have a church of 10,000, ask God to show you who the ones are that you can pour your spirit into and uh, your life into, and then allow them, them to take on the authority and let them carry on the message that God has given you. Is that if I'm a really good disciple maker, my disciple will not look like me. They will look like Jesus. Yeah. We don't want people looking like us. We want people looking like Jesus. They need to follow us as we follow Christ. Imitate, mimic Christ. So our whole intention is to see them become who they should become, to see them fully released, not to have somebody that serves me. And I'm really disliking this title of, well, they're my armor bearer, which sure. means that they're my slave. Sure. God's called me to serve them, not vice versa. So... Anyway, I have strong opinions on this, as you can tell. Yeah, well, I, I, I literally just did um, an episode with a, a friend of mine who um, went to a church that was very controlling, and, um, you know, the pastor would threaten them all the time with, uh, yeah. you yeah. know, if they, if they don't listen to him or obey him exactly, then they're probably going to hell and all this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, that well, sounds really, really damaging. If you, if you go to a church with a controlling pastor— leave that church. Don't stay because you will only be as healthy or unhealthy as your leader. Hmm. Don't, don't go to that church. And a, and a pastor also that has, whose family or marriage is not in order. Don't stay in that church. You'll become like the person that is leading you. So I, I advocate, I advocate for people to leave churches. Yeah. Only go to one where there's a healthy pastor and he's a releaser, not a controller. The spirit of controlling is not of God. This controlling, authoritative, dictatorial spirit is not of God. Only Jesus is Lord. No man on earth is Lord. So Jesus said, don't call any man Lord or Master on this earth. Right, right, yeah. On that note, I wanted to ask um, a couple questions. Number one, what mistakes or errors do you see? Um, let's start with people you're discipling. So you're trying to disciple somebody in the Lord. What... What stumbling blocks do you feel like crop up fairly commonly in people you're trying to raise up? I just say this as because I'm a pastor. I've seen many of the people that I've tried to raise up in the Lord. Um, just being honest, a lot of them are not walking with the Lord today, right? So I'm yeah. sure you've got 60 years of experience in this. I'm sure you've yeah. got a wider perspective. Yeah, absolutely. We have those two. We have, the, we have those that, you know, they all forsook Jesus at the, at the garden, you know, every one of them. If he were to, if we were to count the score at halftime, Jesus would have been put out of the game. 
but uh, they all came back at a later date. So you just have to leave that with the Holy Spirit. You did something that could forever change. So every person is different. Sometimes they're very receptive soil and you can never go beyond their character. You can never build some, if you think that you're going to build and they are, they have bad soil, it will never happen. So you can, you know, character is not a saved or unsaved issue, a believer or unbeliever. It is something that you have or don't have, whether you're saved or not. So if it's good soil, you can build on that. If it's not good soil, you're wasting your time. <clears throat> um, a couple of the thoughts that I have is that um, uh, God has not called you to be the Holy Spirit because sometimes in early immaturity, people will always want, or even those that are later on in their Christian life, will want you to tell them what they should do. Don't ever do it. Give them principles, send them back to the Word, send them to prayer, but have them lean on God. Don't ever have them leave on you, lean on you because you're, you're a broken crutch. You know, you're a, you're a broken stick and uh, it will crumble underneath them. We have never been called. We are not called to predict their future, only to encourage them in their areas of giftedness and in their, to, to allow them to um, begin to see how God has chosen them and is refining them. So you can give them principles, never, never direction, hmm. or else you're going to injure them. Uh, and then um, don't, don't feel obligated that you've got to spend all your time with them. That's not God. It would take it away from your family. Sometimes I see people once a week, sometimes every two weeks or a month. Um, sometimes I'm regular, but it's only through text. Uh, there's all kinds of issues depending upon the situation. Sometimes you'll only give input into a person for a matter of days and then may, you may not see them again. But you gave principles. The, the couple came into my office, brother, sister from, uh, from New York. Uh, they were here and they, they talked to me. I talked to them for a couple of hours and they left having received major principles that they are going to find useful in their future. But I've not been called to disciple them beyond that. So it can be anything from a matter of hours to days to months to years. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus considered all those that came to him, to him as gifts from the Father. So you do what you can do. You train them. You, you, uh, pour your life into them, you let them track after you, you let them see, you give them principles, but never direction. And I think my biggest calling is just to love people, mm -hmm. you know, not whether they fail or not. So, if, you know, I'm like Jesus, I'll never leave you and forsake you. You can walk away from me and you can walk away from Jesus, but I will never walk away from you. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes yours go by and they come back and are forever changed. And it happened because of the discipleship, but sometimes it, it never happens. But for those that connect, the one out of the four seeds that connects, then they bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. Right, right. Yeah, that's great. Um, are, there any, are there any teachings that you're, con you're particularly concerned about today in the body? And I say this because when I, when I read Paul, um, you know, many of his letters are written sp to warn of specific teachings that have started to take root um, in his churches, right? I'm thinking of like Galatians, right? We're very, very concerned about, you know, this. My major concerns relate, number one, to self-promotion in the ministry. Hmm. Self-promotion, we're following the man who never promoted himself, yet turned the world upside down, yet promoting ourselves 
I have a statement that if you promote yourself, God won't. If you promote God, he will promote you. And uh, we have tremendous self-promotion in the church. We're very motivated by program. And so we have churches a mile wide and an inch deep. There is no stability. And then when the storm comes, they have nothing to anchor to. Secondly, we are not teaching the word. We're teaching all kinds of good ideas. And we're seem to, we seem to be teaching things that don't teach the fear of the Lord. So people have no fear of the Lord, you know, so I don't care what it says, you know, I'll go ahead and do what I want. And the lack of the teaching on the fear of the Lord makes sin just uh, negotiable instead of something that has great consequences. I'm also concerned about the tremendous amount of um, control that our leaders have over people. Uh, the authority of Jesus was never uh, coercive. The authority of Jesus, he freely gave it away. He, uh, people followed him because they loved him, not because he controlled them. And if we produce that spirit of control and fear, we will destroy people. It's very dangerous. And we control people by all things, telling them they're going to go to hell if they don't tie it to the church. If you leave this church, you're going to be cursed. Jesus says, you'll go in and out and find pasture. And they say, no, if you go in, I'll bless you. If you leave, I'm going to curse you. And uh, we have all kinds of false doctrines. I personally think that we know more about traditions of men than we do what the Bible says. So I, I really encourage people, get into the Bible and read it and do it. You've been so influenced by what preachers said, the Bible says, that you haven't taken time for yourself. So you're letting the, the preacher be the surrogate so you don't pray, you don't study the word of God, you don't have, you don't have Christ in your home. It's just you, you come and see him, visit him on Sundays. And so you're led not by what the word or the Holy Spirit says, but by one sermon per week that you probably forgot five minutes from the time you left the building. And I think the people don't really have any idea of who God is really or the word of God. So they're falling for all kinds of things. Yeah. So it's, it's not as much the false doctrines that are bothering me, though there are several that do. It is the lack of knowledge of what the Bible says so that you can rightly discern yourself, not me tell you what they are. Yeah. You know, yeah. but you can rightly discern because you know the word of God. Yeah. Well, I, I, anybody who's listened to this podcast um, knows I pretty much share your concern about all of those things. Um, but it's not all bad news, right? What, what, is, what hope do we have for the future here, Larry? Uh, well, the hope is that God is bigger than us and he's bigger than the devil. Yeah. And uh, the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And uh, I believe the true revival happens, number one, through prayer. And number two, whenever it gets out of the building, the biggest impediment to church growth is the building. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever revival happens, it's out of the marketplace and day to day. And I believe that there will be a visitation of God in our nation. But I believe that judgment will also come to our nation. I don't, I don't believe it is. Um, I don't believe that God will stay his hand from judging the the, the vast exporting of sin all over the world, like no other nation has ever done. Say, oh, we've done good to all of these nations, which we have, you know, yeah. the Marshall Plan, things like that. The problem is that we've exported, we're the, we're, the, we're the exporter of the filth of the pornography and the movies and, and everything that is, the majority of everything that goes online that is filth, as well as the, uh, 
the economy that comes out of here to support things that are absolutely demonic and the sex slavery that is based in the United States and the abortions, every single thing I, I really doubt that God will ignore. I believe that there's going to be a call fallen, fallen as Babylon the Great and judgment will come, which I pray it does. And I, uh, but it starts at the house of God. So I do pray that God cleans his church. Yeah. Starting with me. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. I feel like, um, you know, Larry, I've been telling people that to me it seems like with all the COVID stuff that's going on, you know, I, I don't know how it is in Texas exactly. Here in California, all the churches are still pretty much shut down. There's a handful right. of churches that are open, and and the ones that are open are, are operating at like, I don't know, a quarter capacity or something like that. And right. It's just like right. mo- the vast majority of people are not coming out to church. I know mm-hmm. so many people are struggling um, but what it seems to me is it seems like the church is being shaken. It just seems like there is this shaking Absolutely. on the church right now. Absolutely. And it's exposing everything you just talked about, the you know, the shallow nature, right, of our discipleship. Yeah, right? right. Like there's so many people that their their faith is just being exposed right now. And right. I've been telling you know, I've been telling people that for me, I'm not really discouraged by this because I just feel like it's it's just showing what was al- already there. Right, it was it just covered up in all of these large church conferences and mega mm-hmm. church services, and it looked it looked really healthy on on some level. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. we can look at our nation and see that the 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 millennial generation, my generation, and the younger generation, these are the least you know faith filled generations in America's history. Yeah. That's not because the churches have been doing such a great job per se. It's because we're being That's exposed, right. and so. I, I say that because I'm actually really hopeful. Everything you're talking about with, you know, the the Jesus's model of discipleship, about you know having real spiritual fathers and mothers. They're teaching people not just Bible lessons, but really how to live life and how to walk with God um, in a real way. I'm hopeful that we're going to start seeing a, a new expression or a new model of church. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. The greatest thing ever happened was COVID. <laughs> thing ever have on the church is COVID. That's true. So we get back to the basics. We get back to the ministry in the home. The home is the most pure form of the church. We've taken it out of the home where the home has no responsibility at all. And the church has been the surrogate home of the mom and dad, and they can't. That God didn't create them to be that. I'm talking about the institutional church, but I'm very, very encouraged uh, what God is doing. I believe that we're on the cusp of revival and I don't think anything is negative. I think that God is, whenever Hebrews says, once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. Yeah. And only those things that can stand after the shaking are going to prevail. I believe that that's happening right now. The, the heavens and the earth will be shaken. Every single thing, every home, every person, every institution is going to be shaken. And I say, bring it on, God, bring it on. <laughs> Turn up the fire, cleanse us, get us ready. Yeah. Your bride is going to be without spot or wrinkle, and um, we have we have to go through the process. Yeah, so. yeah, I I'm thankful. I I look at you, Larry, and I'm I'm like, man, because you went through a period where you were pastoring for a long time, and then you felt like God called you out of local church, and you right. were basically focusing like on discipleship. It seemed like for many years, yeah. and yeah. you know, I was telling you before we started this podcast, it, it I feel a similar kind of thing in the sense that. You know, I've been in, mostly in the local church context. It feels like I'm, like, for whatever reason, I keep getting ripped out of that context 
and I'm doing most of my discipleship outside of the local church context right now. But I'll just be honest, it's scary for me. I'm not used to this. And it's like, I don't know, like, how am I going to get paid? <laughs> like how, how everything. And so it's super scary. But at the same time, it does. It feels um, it feels yeah. exciting. And, if, and I feel hopeful, like, God, my heart is, how do I disciple people well in whatever context you put me into it? And so I just want to say, Larry, thanks so much for you know being a model and a pioneer and example yeah, for me because uh, you know it it, it you. definitely gives me courage to see your story and to see your oh, effect you. and your impact. It is a pleasure. I love you. I appreciate you. I believe in you, and I'm excited what God has in your future. Thank God He's shaking everything up, huh? Yeah, Amen. we're ready. I love you, buddy. <laughs> Amen. Thanks for All this right. opportunity. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It. Okay, bye-bye.